Welcome to the Giles Files, and my name is Nancy Giles. I don't want to gloss over the fact that you were VH1's VH1. VH1. VH1 is like the older sibling to MTV, right, but we're both right. under the under the same under corporate the same umbrella. umbrella. We would play the black artists that MTV wouldn't. Right. Tracy Chapman, prime example. Fast card. We'll take it. Look what happened. You ought to hear good MTV uh, story. Of course. Oh okay. my God, yeah. So I keep hearing a guy at the, uh, the video machine and he kept stopping and rewinding and stopping and rewinding and stopping and rewinding. And I wonder to him, what are you doing? And it was before the premiere of the of a new Madonna video. I think it, it may have been like a prayer. And I said, what? He said, well, the executives are really concerned about the video. And I said, why? Because in the video, she goes into church and there is a statue of like a black a saint. black Jesus. Right. And it's like, they're concerned that her lips touch the feet of a black Jesus. And I said, but it's a statue. He said, yeah, but they're concerned about it. And I said, but they're cool with the burning crosses in the background. Hello. <laughs> Life is a mystery. <laughs> That was the voice of our dear friend Bobby Rivers, and that was just a taste of his razor-sharp wit. Let me say for the record, Bobby is the bomb diggity, okay? He knows classic film history and pop culture better than anybody. On VH1, ABC News, on local and national TV, and on his own talk show, Bobby sat down with everyone from Tom Hanks and Paul McCartney to Kirk Douglas and Whoopi Goldberg. He is one of the most knowledgeable interviewers on TV. And, yo, I'm not biased. The New York Times called Bobby a disarmingly sweet, quirky personality who exudes a benign sense of mischief as he joshes with stars. And they said Rivers is a master interviewer. <laughs> Damn right. So get out your popcorn, sit back in your seats, and get ready for a master class in cinema. We should point out that in 1970, you were the first African-American contestant and first winner as a high school student on the show, The Movie Game in Hollywood. God love Talk that. us through that. Went to high school in Watts in the 60s after the riots put the community in the national headlines. So we, we always got the Los Angeles Times. There was an ad that said, movie buffs wanted and this was in the classified ads want people who know old movies for a game show and call this number and at that time in high school i was really trying to get mom and dad to take my love of film seriously and not mm -hmm. just these are teenagers who just wants to watch movies and not do his chores said <laughs> no they were my passion so i read the ad and i thought i got I got to make this phone call. I got to get in and take that test. The tests were on a weekend and my mother didn't have to work on weekends. She drove me out to take the test. So I go in this room, the only black person in the room and the youngest black person in the room. And there was a written test. It was a movie trivia, multiple choice and write-in. I took the test. I gave it to the person in the room. 
she looked it over she went over to another person and they're talking about it and said okay we want can you come to us in another room wow i feel like like barney on mission impossible they had a, <laughs> a screen up and they just they flashed stills up on the, on the screen and would say boom what movie a star is born judy garland james mason who did the first version janet Dane or frederick march boom what movie mr smith goes to washington boom who's the dancer Eleanor Powell, boom, who's this dancer? And Miller. She said, is your mom, your parent, and your brother? So these execs or whatever are talking to my mom. And then she would look over at me <laughs> and she went, you got a hundred on both tests. They want you on this show. This is Hollywood. And from the Samuel Goldwyn Studios, it's the movie game. And your movie game host, Mr. Sonny Fox. The, the show was called The Movie Game. It was on local Channel 9 in Los Angeles. It was a syndicated show. Well, they found this white guy a year older than I was, also in high school from Redondo Beach, and we'll have it, the two teens. So it was a show where you had celebrity teammates. He had David Jansen and Diane Cannon. I had Phyllis Diller and Hugh O'Brien. Oh, wow. My mom and my sister are at the taping. She was sitting behind an older couple and the husband turned to his wife and said, how does he know who Sonia Henney is? And my mom turned to her, I don't know, I'm his mother. <laughs> <laughs> and I had cleaned up in the area of Cole Porter musicals. <laughs> so, <laughs> when it aired, all of West Hollywood went, fabulous, 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 fabulous. <laughs> Okay, this is it, the contest to see which is our winner of the week for $1,000. They had a tiebreaker uh, question. You know, who who's the movie star we're talking about? And one of the clues was, he will soon be seen in a remake of Julius Caesar. I pressed a button that said, Charlton Heston, and I won. My mom's thrilled, and then she tried to flirt with you, O'Brien, and you were talking to Phyllis Diller, and... So she said, you got to call your dad and let him know that you want. So I'm, I'm telling dad, and, and he said, so how did you know that answer? I said, well, I was reading the sports page of the, of the sports section of the Los Angeles Times, and my dad went, what? I said, it was Charlton Hesley. No, 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 you were reading the sports page? <laughs> my dad was overjoyed because I had usually been asking him questions like, Daddy, does Vera Ellen spell her name with a hyphen? <laughs> and he would just go, oh, Lord, help me, Jesus, oh, Lord. He was like one day when my sister said, I got, she said, Daddy wanted to change his last name. Why do you want to change the family's last name? She said, not the family's, just his. Because I was in the garage. I had taken seven up bottle caps and put them on the bottoms of my sneakers. And I said, Daddy. If I spin real fast with these bottle caps on my sneakers, I sound just like Ann Miller. <laughs> Whoa! Lord, help me, Jesus. You know, so I, I know like the Watts Riots, what'd you get? I got a stereo. What'd you get? I got a TV. Rivers, what did you get? South Pacific, Carousel, <laughs> Gigi, and two records said Judy and Carnegie Hall. 
Bobby, 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 Bobby. <laughs> Anyone who told me I'd be standing here on a line talking to Bobby Rivers, I would have said, okay, first of all, what has Bobby Rivers been putting in your wall? <laughs> Will the success of the piano give more clout to getting more women directors in Hollywood? Hey, that's a great question. If Monica Lewinsky was a character you had created, and the current White House sex scandal yes. was at the beginning of the book, how would you end Monica's story? Nobody would believe it. <laughs> they would go, Jackie Collins has gone too far. In Prisoner of Sex, you said that women are, at worst, low, sloppy beasts. Oh, thanks a lot, Bobby. I'm so, well, I'm sorry, uh, I had to do a little pal, homework yeah. there. <laughs> what, what, are, what are they at their best? If you were gay and single and won the Oscar and came out, during your acceptance speech. How would that have affected your career? You know, I, I think that is, that's a fascinating hypothesis. It would be amazing to see. Was Silence of the Lambs originally slated for you? Mm-hmm. Did you withdraw from that? Mm-hmm. Can I ask you why? Um, I got nervous about the really evil triumphs. You are known as a master interviewer. I saw the reel on your blog, which was amazing with Norman Mailer and Michelle Pfeiffer and Holly Hunter, which after the piano won an award, you talked Thank about, you. well, that opened Women the door directors. for directors. You do have a true interest in what's going on. So my question to you is, how do you prepare? What is your process? I know this is going to make me sound like such a nerd, but it's true. We had... Um, nerds are cool. We love okay. nerds. So I did a lot of reading, not just major publications or, or major books, but if I was out of town and there was a local newspaper, because, you know, some of these local publications get good interviews. Mm -hmm. The main thing is when I got to the, the world of junkets, you read more than the press kit. When I was a kid and I started loving the films that really embraced filmmaking, actors, and film preservation, I just read everything, everything, because that helped me as an interviewer. And especially if I went out of town, local newspapers, papers that may not be famous, but you can find something in that. In fact, here's an example. There's a show called PM Magazine, and that's where I started my TV career. So I got the assignment to go on the movie junket in San Antonio, Texas for Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Oh, wow. Okay. So while I'm there, you know, I just picked up one of the free newspapers and one of their columnists had gotten a short interview with Dolly Parton. And uh, she said, yeah, I'd like to do a movie with Beg Midler where we're talking about it. Now, I hadn't heard about that anyplace. So I asked her about that and she confirmed it and it became my piece went national because Oh my God, you know, Dolly Parton, Bette Midler, bosoms for days. Just to think about that. But what it said, you just have to, you keep reading, you do your homework. And I think today when I see reporters do some celebrity interviews, they consider themselves to be as much a celebrity as a celebrity. And some of the questions are like, did you even think about this? You know, did you, did you do any kind of homework? Mm. could let me make love to you. Make love, did you say? Yes. What do you mean? 
You don't even know my psychocardiogram. Eh? Well, on Earth, for centuries, people haven't made love unless their psychocardiogram readings were in perfect confluence. <laughs> I know nothing of that. You ask me what you can do for me, and I told you. Well, all right. But I don't see what good it will do. What would you ask um, Jane Fonda after Barbarella? If she was promoting the film? Yeah. If she was pleased with the sexuality that she had to portray as Barbarella, because the character was censored in some French publications. And you think the French censored a sexual <laughs> image? That yeah. must have been deep. She made that right on the brink before she embraced feminism. And there is a scene in Barbara at the beginning of the movie where she's supposed to be writhing as if she's in orgasm. She said this in an interview just uh, this year. When Roger Vadim, the director, had her do that, she said she was drunk on the day of shooting. Then they had to do retakes. And she, had, she said, so when you see the complete scene, I'm drunk and hungover. <laughs> so, you won't do it? Well, if you simply must insist, I guess so. The winner is Diane Keaton. <laughs> It's simply terrific. Uh, naturally, <laughs> I'm very honored to have been nominated with actresses like Jane Fonda and Shirley MacLaine and Anne Bancroft and Marsha Mason. This is um, something. Anyway, Annie Hall was a, a wonderful experience for me, and I, um, I just would like to say thanks to Woody and thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. What would you ask Diane Keaton? I, I kind of love her. <gasps> oh, Diane Keaton! <laughs> if if she had, if she had not stayed in acting, what profession would she have chosen for herself? Hmm. She's a good artist, and she's got this eye for different graphics and putting them together. Her whole dining room, I think, has words on the wall. Uh, she has a lot of signs and words in her house. And I would like to ask her: How does she feel about the way the Oscars are presented today? And is it more about marketing than the art? Because when she won the Oscar, she got in her Volkswagen and drove to the ceremony. I love that so much. And parked, and then went up and sat down in the seat. Now you have to go through this procession of the red carpet and, you know. Driving a tad rapidly. Yeah, don't worry, I'm a very good driver. Oh my God, look, there's a parking space. That's okay. You, we, we can walk to the curb from here. What would you ask Woody Allen these days, Bobby? <gasps> you know, I, I, I'll, I'll set the stage by saying I worked with him twice and he was great. And his, uh, his crew is devoted and diverse. They were two of the best film sets I've ever been on in my life. But there's this controversy about what he may or may not have done with his uh, stepdaughter, Dylan, and a lot of actors have come out and said they wish they hadn't worked for him. And I would ask him if he would go back, go back to the 70s, and you know, when he was making Annie Hall and Manhattan, if he would show a more racially diverse New York City. 
excellent films, but you I, you sit there and go, damn. Yeah, that's true. I live there, and where the black folks at? Well, I was in a couple, but not back then. You're right. Uh-huh. I don't know if this was pre you, Nancy, but the one where the woman had a role, she was a prostitute. Deconstructing right. Harry. Deconstructing Harry. There's a black maid in Hannah. That black maid was like, basically says, thank you. Working on Thanksgiving. Yeah, working on Every single Thanksgiving. The other thing in Hannah and her sisters in a very crucial role, when Woody Allen first finds out he might be sick and he's walking along Central Park West, a black guy bumps into him in a substantial way. So I'm just throwing that in, you know. If you go back and look at some of his movies in the 60s, like take- They were more racial. They were sleeper. And sleeper. There's more diversity there. And then there's this weird period and then- you know, but those are yeah. great questions. Okay. I have a, a, a Twitter buddy who's in Argentina and uh, saw the Woody Allen movie Rainy Day in New York City, which he, he saw it about two years ago. It, I don't think it's ever opened here in the States. I, I've never seen that. Yeah. And in fact, he's working on a new movie with Wallace Shawn that will only it's open done. in Europe. It's only it open it. in Europe. Right. Yeah. The, it's completed. Is that that movie, A Rainy Day in New York City, or is it a different movie? No, t- Timothy, what's like the skinny kid's name? Timothy, Timothy Chalamet. Oh, Chalamet. Yeah, he's in it. <laughs> but since then, Timothy Chalamet has said, I'm sorry that I worked with him. He's been another one of the people who's been like, oh, you know. You know, you, you joke with him about me, you make fun of me, but I'm prepared for anything, an emergency, a tidal wave, an earthquake. How did you become a film nerd? I remember the exact day. The movie was called Flying Down to Rio. And when I saw this man named Fred Astaire dance, mm-hmm. it was like something, I went, whoa. It was like, oh my gosh, this is in the same category as Bugs Bunny cartoons for me and I Love Lucy. It was just, there was something that caught my soul. Mm-hmm. So after that, I started paying more attention to movies and I'd wear my parents out, although they didn't mind, you know, read the credits to me. Who was that? Who was that? I wanted to know who the people were and I wanted <laughs> to know why they were famous. I had great parents because they could tell me who these people were, especially my, my mom, mm. because I would ask her and she would sometimes do an imitation of the person. Who was that woman? Her name was Edith Piaf. And my mother would do an invitation of Edith Piaf. And and for me, going to the drive-in movies was always like Christmas Day. And I and and the type of movies that my parents went to see were not the kind of films that the media told you black people went to see. To this day. I've never heard people other than my parents talk about Spartacus as a civil rights era movie. When just one man says, no, I won't, Rome begins to fear. And we were tens of thousands who said no. That was the wonder of it. They've seen slaves lift their heads from the dust. See them rise from their knees. Stand tall. Of course, you wouldn't see anything that starred Sidney Poitier. 
my dad, who, who was kind of like a reserved World War II veteran who got our, our home on the GI loan, he became like a teen fangirl whenever he saw a movie by David Lane. You know, <laughs> Bridge on the River Kwai. He loved. Mom and dad would see anything that was based on the work of Tennessee Williams mm. because we're a black Catholic family and the church told us you can't see the work of Tennessee Williams. <laughs> so, okay, we're, we're going. <laughs> Suddenly last summer, cat on a hot tin roof. You know what I feel like? I feel all the time like a cat on a hot tin roof. Then jump off the roof, Maggie, jump off it. Our cats jump off roofs and they land uninjured. Do it, jump. Jump where? Into what? Take a lover. I don't deserve that. I can't see any man but you. And at that time, we could gather and watch a movie together and give that movie our full attention. Now, people live tweet during the movie. God bless them. You know, that's fun. But live tweeting during a movie for me, especially a classic film, is like texting while driving because you're not giving your full attention to what's before you. At that gaff when people thought La La Land was best picture and it turned oh out to be Moon it wasn't the It wasn't the fault of Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty. It was the fact that the man who was supposed to be handling the envelopes was so busy live tweeting on with the star that he was not paying attention to his job. And he gave her the wrong envelope. Full disclosure, uh, uh, years ago as, as a TCM viewer, I was asked to to live tweet a movie. And I said, okay, I'm gonna think about it. Citizen Kane happened to be airing in a couple of days and I watched it. I paid full attention to it. And as many times as I had seen that, I discovered something new about it. And I went, you know, if I had been tweeting, Orson Welles was once married to Rita Hayworth. Orson <laughs> Welles was on an episode of I Love Lucy. Orson Welles did wine commercials when he got really big. I would have missed that. Sooner or later, you're gonna be hanging around. I bet you, I bet you if I catch you. So, Bobby, um, if you had a chance to interview anybody that you wanted, let's talk yeah. actor wise, living or dead, who would that be? How would you uh, prepare for the interview? Because you're such a, a wonderful interviewer. What kind of questions would you ask? You know, I thought about that question before and one person I wish I could have interviewed was the late great Hattie McDaniel. Mm. That's a great choice. The first black person nominated for an Oscar, the first black person to win an Oscar and that was Best Supporting Actress for Gone with the Wind. And Olivia de Havilland was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress. So there is a staircase scene in a very sad section of the movie and I went okay this is this is what secured the Oscar for Hattie because Hattie as Mammy is telling what has happened to Melanie Miss Melanie Olivia de Havilland and they're walking up that grand staircase oh, no Mammy no I never see no man black or white sits at store on any child when Dr. Mead say her neck broke Mr. Red grab his gun and run out there and shoot that poor pony and for a minute, I think he got to shoot his set. Oh, poor Captain Butler. And yes, and Miss Scarlett, she called him a murderer for teasing that child to jump. 
She said, you give me my baby what you give. And then he said, Miss Scarlett ain't never cared nothing about Miss Buckley. They like to turn my blood cold, the things they say to one another. Stop, Mammy, don't tell me anymore. <laughs> Hattie has to be so full of emotion and she has to deliver all this dialogue while the two actresses walk upstairs. Now, they can't be on the same level for the camera angle because one would block the other. So one has to be a little ahead of the other. And as they walk, they still have to hit certain marks and stop for dialogue. And it's such a heavy monologue. And I killed you tomorrow. Do you think I'm going to put my child in the... In the dark, was she so scared of it? Oh, Mammy, Mammy, he has lost his mind. Yes, I'm glad to God, too. He ain't gonna let us bear that child. You gotta help us, Miss Riley. Oh, but I can't, true. If you can't help us, who can? Mr. Red always said... And I often think, I look at it, and I go, I wonder if Olivia wanted to break character and go, Girl! Acting! You acting! Acting! A year or two after she's won the Oscar and made history, she is still being billed almost as if she's a bit player. And I would like to know within the studio system, what were talks like that she had with executives, if she had any. And during the 40s, you see her, her dramatic strength, you see her musical comedy chops. Right. And, and ever since the 1930s, the Oscars love biopics. You think of how many actors have won an Oscar for playing a real-life person. Mm -hmm. You know, from Spencer Tracy to Julia Roberts is Aaron Brockovich, Jamie Foxx is Ray Charles, Renee Zellweger is Judy Garland. Barbara Streisand is Fanny Bryce. Right. Now there's Oscar buzz for Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball. And so in the 40s, why, why couldn't Hattie McDaniel have played Ida B. Wells? Or Mary McLeod Bethune, who was a member of the Roosevelt administration, a great educator at that time and still alive. And why was she still being billed like a bit player and being treated by a bit player when she had all that talent? I've heard this in, in where they do vignettes on her on Turner Classic Movies that Hattie apparently said, well, I'd rather play a maid than be one. And then I think like the Caucasian response is, well, she's, she's spunky. She still endured a lot of discrimination. If you were on the red carpet and she was there and you had a shot at one question. What is the quality of scripts you've been receiving since you won the Oscar for Gone with the Wind? I wonder what the answer would have been if it would have been more than the crickets, I'm assuming, because you're right when you say that after that movie, she did similar parts, but she certainly her billing was never... She, the, the billing no. issue didn't come in. She didn't get that kind of respect. Man. And in 1942, the, uh, the male animal, which is a satire, it's a comedy, that uh, is still I think, pretty, pretty relevant today. Henry Fonda's in it. But here's the cast. It's Olivia de Havilland, Henry Fonda, Joan Leslie, and Jack Carson, four people who were big stars of Warner Brothers in the early 40s, and Hattie McDaniel who is the only Oscar winner at that time of that quintet. Right. And you look at her billing and it's like, how far down is she? And it's like a bit part. 
where she has to speak in that stereotypical Hollywood sound. She can't, she can't say, oh, I'll get the door. It's, I'll get the door. I know, you know. right. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. You're gonna knock on my door. You've done it before. Matter of factly, I don't know exactly when. But sooner or later, you're gonna be hanging around. And want my cooking again. Following her is like following a circus. She does what she does to shake the sexual chains off our brains. So she says, we give her publicity and she gives us sex. That's the name of her new work. Thursday night I covered Madonna for two hours. It was a night to remember. You know, she's one of the finest actresses of our generation. Really? I didn't know that. Madonna told me that herself. Oh, really? Right. Billy, who's more controversial? You or Madonna? Come on, be honest. I'm always more controversial because I don't give a Wait. Thank you. Do you dress like that because you want to or just to make your father mad? It's going to make my father real mad. Finally, two hours after we showed up, she showed up. Oh, my Lord. Madonna. Who made the outfit, baby? I think I had a premonition. If America comes out of its collective closet sexually, what does that do to your career? Vote for Clinton. Thank you and ciao, Madonna. Or should I say, Avita Zane. Is that Lita Hosen? I think you also mentioned another very famous iconic actress. And Marilyn Monroe. Yes, and, and there's been so many interviews and so many books written about her with the same subject matter all the time. What would you have asked her? She was never asked how she approached her roles. So much has been written about it by famous people like Norman Mailer and Joyce Carol Oates. One thing that I noticed about actresses who talked about her or, or wrote about her, they all mentioned her warmth, her kindness, and the fact that she knew what she was doing when she was working. And Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, that is a feel-good movie for me. And here you have a showbiz hopeful who wants to marry a millionaire, and she's a showgirl. And she does that number, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, which is now, you know, to use an overused word, iconic. And it was choreographed by this famous Broadway and film choreographer and dancer named Jack Cole. His choreography was brilliant. She said it was exhausting. It was very difficult because he would kind of go against the beat, but it was wonderful. And Monroe was not a trained dancer, but she nailed it. And George Shakiris was one of the backup dancers in it. And he said, between takes, she wasn't getting all gussied up and going back to the dressing room, she kept rehearsing. But square cut or pear shape, these rocks don't lose their shape. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Tiffany's. Marilyn Monroe was usually asked questions that were kind of stemming from her love life and what's it like to be a sex symbol. She did three movies in one year. And I said this to somebody recently. I said, 
if Scarlett Johansson had done those same three movies, she would have been up for Best Actress. Mm. She starts off with one uh, called Niagara, which is like film noir and Technicolor, where she's the cheating wife, right. married to Joseph Cotton. But you like got, her. You, but you <laughs> like her. But you like her. He's got PTSD, and she's doomed, you know. Well, what are you getting all dressed up for? I'm going to pick up the bus tickets. Pick up the bus tickets? Well, buy them when we get to the terminal. I'm not going to stand all the way to Chicago. I want reservations. Well, there are no reservations. We just go early and get aboard early. You're getting all dressed up to go out and buy tickets. Why? Where are you going? Here we go again. All right. I'm not going to the bus station. Does that make you feel any better? You smell like a dime store. I know what that means. Sure. I'm meeting somebody. Just anybody handy. As long as he's a man. How about the ticket seller himself? I could grab him on my way out. Or one of the kids with a phonograph. Anybody suits me. Take your pick. Okay, okay. So I don't know this guy. This guy you sing to. Hum to. Uh, build your Maxwell. I'll be back. Then she goes from that to Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which I, she had brilliant comedy timing, which she shows in that. And she's the blonde who wants to marry a millionaire. Right. More than that, she's the loyal friend. And when you really look at it, she follows that up with How to Marry a Millionaire, which shows that she had a knack for physical comedy. Oh, my I God. I will watch, I will sit through that movie when there's a the scene where they're all in the ladies' room. She can't see without her glasses. <laughs> she will literally walk into a wall. She gets the first time you see her in the movie when she gets off the elevator to go to the swanky yeah, oh. apartment. <laughs> she has her glasses off and the guy tells her which way to tells go. She goes the and walks into the wall. Three distinct characters. Yeah. Three movies all in the same year and the questions are still about, you know, how's your love life? You're going to marry oh. Joe? You're going to marry Anthony? Misfits, you know. Misfits, when they're attacking the horses and she says, stop it, and oh. she does that scream oh. and collapses, that's... um. Who's the South African who won an Oscar for Monsters? Charlize Theron? Charlize Theron. Because I contend she got that Oscar. Well, you know, of course, the prosthesis and everything. But that scream. I, that, you know, that, I, I remember that was, seeing that scream and going, that was good. But Marilyn did that 30 years ago. He ripped ago. it off from Marilyn Monroe. Wow. crazy oh my god the strength of that scene where she's far away she's way in the distance and and not using that kind of slightly above a whisper voice that she's screaming screaming her rage and anger and i went oh my god that that's a solid performance and and underappreciated at its time and i would have asked her how did how did studio executives feel about you helping Ella Fitzgerald? Oh, please tell that story. 
Okay, I first read about the story in uh, a 1980s book by Gloria Steinem, like Everyday Rebellions. In the 1950s, Ella recorded a hit series of songbook albums, like Ella Sings, Rogers and Hart, Ella Sings, uh, Irving Berlin, Ella Sings, Cole Porter. Right. Beautiful work. But she still could not get bookings at the A-list nightclubs in Hollywood. Why? Because she was Black. And that was it. Monroe, Marilyn Monroe, was a huge Ella Fitzgerald fan. And Monroe realized her clout as, as a sex symbol and as a new movie star. So she contacts the management and basically says, if you book Ella for two weeks, I'll be there every night, knowing that her appearance would bring extra business and the press. And Ella said, she never, ever, ever had a problem getting bookings after that. Because there's a photo of the two of them. She said she was there oh, every my. single night. And I bet you because at that time in the 1950s, that was like, oh, my God, our star is embracing civil rights. What are we going to do? Because, you know, I'm sure that the male executives at Hollywood just wanted her to just play the blonde and don't get involved in this other stuff. My favorite Natalie Wood movie, Love with the Proper Stranger. That's my favorite, and that's Nancy's favorite. Oh my God. Of all time. Of, of all time. time. Man, I would love to be on the air talk about, and talk about that because as a Catholic, when I got older and watched it, it meant even more because of the big scene when you realize, oh, this doctor. Come on, hurry up. Get undressed. And being Catholic, where you're you're not supposed to have sexual relations before marriage and you're not supposed to enjoy it. And, and it wasn't like she was easy. She was lonely. They were two lonely people who came together. And, and I thought, oh my God, she's done this as an Italian Catholic girl. She's got to be so conflicted to know that if this procedure happens, that's a mortal sin on oh. my soul. Are you a doctor? You said a doctor. Take it or leave it. Come on, get your clothes on. Get your clothes on. We're gonna get out of here. It works on so many levels about loneliness and then finding the right person unexpectedly. Come on, get your clothes on. Get your clothes on. Come on, I want you to get out of here. Get your clothes on. Get your I mean, that was very progressive for that time. Yeah. That, oh, I love that movie. I, I love it too. What about Steve McQueen? But he yeah, showed his acting chops in Love with the Proper Stranger. That's I mean, true. that oh was such God. a beautiful... I love that. And yeah. he did that Sand Pebbles. Yes. Papillon. 
Even Bullet. I thought his acting in Bullet was great. I did too. It was yeah. very internal. What is so important about driving faster than anyone else? A lot of people go through life doing things badly. Racing is important to men who do it well. When you're racing, it's, it's life. Anything that happens before or after, it's just waiting. What about um, after Le Mans? Any thoughts? What was the legacy he wanted to leave as a film actor? He is so popular as a man who can get behind the wheel and, you know, he's, he was built for speed. What about his acting? Mm. Can you give us a little uh, a bit of like who we should be looking out for or shows that you think are going to be big or movies or, or people? Any, any? Yeah. You know what? One director I, I say, keep an eye on is D Reese. D Reese who did uh, a movie pariah. Par oh, she, she's pariah. wonderful. Yes. Okay. Best review of that. I was in California at the time uh, the Oscars were on. Meryl Streep had won her Oscar for the, the Iron Lady. And a local reporter asked her about women in film. And she said, you know what? We had so many good actresses who gave performances. She said, Kim Wayans should have been in the best <sighs> actress category for Pariah. Meryl Streep said that? Meryl Streep said Kim that. Kim Wayans of the Wayans family? Yes. She, was, she is wonderful. She was incredible in that movie. In that movie. So Dee Reese did that. Then she did Mudbound, which got Mary J. Blige an Oscar nomination. Yeah. And that's on Netflix. And she's going to be doing a, a version of Porgy and Bess. So I want to see what, what, what she, yes, what Dee Reese is doing with that. I wrote down a couple other names. I'm reaching over to my paper. Okay. Uh, 2019, there were some good movies that came out. One was Clemency starring Alfre Woodard. Alfre Woodard should have been a Best Actress nominee for Clemency. Alfrey plays a prison warden who she's meeting with a, a, a prisoner who's about to be executed. And you see what these executions have done to her soul mm. and her marriage. It's stunning, stunning wow. performance directed by Chinua Chukwu. It's an African name, woman director. Alfrey Woodard should have been up for best actress. I'm waiting for the remakes of two movies, West Side Story, I want to see mm. what Spielberg has done with that. And Nightmare Alley, which was a Tyrone Power movie in the 1940s. Critics trashed it. People didn't go see it. Through the years, it became known as a film noir classic. And it's been remade by Guillermo del Toro. So there are three things that in my scripts that I work hard to highlight when I can and it's appropriate. Black history, LGBT history, women's history all right you go you go bobby <laughs> you go bobby you go. <laughs> bobby rivers our entertainment editor he's here to help guide us hi bobby how you doing Deborah? in 1988 when you won your first oscar for the accused around that time betty davis said jodie foster is a young betty davis if really? she did. See, why don't I know that? I didn't know that. You did not uh, help in the screenplay for Ellie Confidential. Did you see the final product? Boy, oh boy, what a movie. What is it like when you have a project that you've written, Ellie Confidential, and it goes to somebody else to turn it to a script? You get kind of scared. I would think it, it would be like watching your daughter leave for the prom with Charlie Sheen. What's the worst movie you ever paid money to see? 
Showgirls. <laughs> Showgirls. If, if I had seen that movie in flight, I would have walked out. <laughs> I have interviewed your son, Michael, about three times. And after I saw him in Fatal Attraction, I said, this is some of the best acting you have ever done. There's a lot of texture to that performance. I agree with you. As a matter of fact, I think, it's, I think Michael's acting in Fatal Attraction, from the point of view of an actor, was much better than his acting in uh, Wall Street. Is music today connected to politics the way it was in the 60s? Do you, do you get a feel for that nowadays? Certain people, yeah, they still have a responsibility thing, and certain people... Uh, I keep saying that because of the 60s, uh, Woodstock, if it wasn't for that generation or that people, we'd still be in Vietnam. You were very important in front of the cameras for, for that girl and also behind it as a producer of it. Mm -hmm. Did you take the book, The Feminine Mystique, into... Yes, into, how do you know all these things? Oh, do some homework. My goodness. Into executives and say, yes, look. Yes, took it to Ed Sherrick uh -huh, of ABC. Well, that's our show. Thanks to the phenomenal film and culture historian, Bobby Rivers. Right now, Bobby's writing for Turner Classic Movies. Hey, listen, people, it's time to get our favorite film nerd back on the air. Go to our Instagram page at the Giles Files pod and vote yes for Bobby on the air. The Giles Files was created by Nancy Giles and Nancy Wyatt produced, directed, and edited by Nancy Wyatt, and recorded at our studios in Weehawken, New Jersey. You can listen to The Giles Files on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, be sure to download and subscribe and write us a review. We want to hear from you. We're taking a break for the holidays, but we'll be back on Thursday, January 6th with another Buffo episode of The Giles Files. Okay? <laughs> A Huda Media Production.